Well, we have on several Sunday nights now been looking at parables that uh, Jesus taught. We're actually winding that down. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we looked at the two of the three parables found in Luke chapter 15 that really have to do with judgmentalism. I don't even know if that's a word. Uh, Word didn't like it. I don't know if it was because I misspelled it or because it wasn't a word at all. I don't know. But anyway, but the idea of being judgmental and we saw the story. Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep and he told the parable of the lost coin. But before we really begin tonight's lesson, we need to go back a little bit and remind ourselves what prompted these three parables. Uh, these parables were, were intentionally taught by Jesus in reaction to something that had happened. So if you go back to chapter 15 of Luke and beginning of verse 1, it says simply, Now the tax collectors and quote sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So it was in the context of that situation that then Jesus tells about the shepherd who had the hundred sheep and he got back and there were 99 and one was missing. And he went out and and he scoured the countryside till he found the one and brought it back and they celebrated. And the woman who had the ten coins and she lost one and she lit a lamp and she swept her house until she found the coin. And then she invited her neighbors in to celebrate because she had found the coin. And so now he is going to tell, go ahead, boy. Now he he is going to tell perhaps the most famous parable Jesus taught. The most well-known. Maybe it's a tie between this and the Good Samaritan. I don't know. But this one tugs at our heartstrings as well. But what we're going to do as we kind of close out our lessons on the parables is we are actually going to study this as if it were three different parables. And you look at me like, what are you talking about? Well, have you ever seen one of those movies where they show an event happening from this person's perspective? And then they show it happening from this person's perspective and then maybe somebody else's perspective. Well, that's what we're going to do. Because you see, there's really three parables in this parable. There is the parable of the lost son. But then there's also the parable of the forgiving father. And then there is also the parable of the judgmental brother. And so we're going to look at this parable three times. So for the next three times, we're going to be looking at the same parable, but we're going to be looking at it from a different perspective. So tonight, we're going to be looking at it as the parable of the lost son. So if you would, let's read together. Well, not read together, but read along, but not out, you know, you know what I'm saying. So after telling the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, it says in verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, There was a severe famine in the whole country and began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him off to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his belly or his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. Go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. His father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you killed the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And now he is found. So tonight we want to see what principles or lessons that we can learn from the lost son or the prodigal son as we are used to calling him. The first principle we can see is the principle of free will. Now there are many, believe it or not, possible interpretations to this parable. I didn't realize that till I started studying around, but, but one of the interpretations that I don't think is necessarily right, but one of the ones that's out there is the idea that this parable is really about the, the, uh, the fall of mankind going all the way back to Genesis chapter three. And that the, the youngest son represents Adam and Eve or mankind who had everything in the garden, everything they could ever want, then rebelled against God. Well, Okay, but then who does the older son represent, if that's the case? And the commentary that I was reading that said that had nothing to offer on that, uh, on that subject. So anyway, but whatever your interpretation, it is easy to see that the father in this case, God, allows his children free will. When he created Adam and Eve in the garden and he put them there. He created them with free will. And we may ask ourselves, why did he do that? Why does he do that? That's because he wants us to love him on our own terms. Because we want to. Not because he has. Could he have created Adam and Eve so that they could never possibly sin? 
Sure, he could have, but he didn't. He wanted them to obey. He wanted them to love him because it was within them, not because they had to do it. God created us with free will. He allows his children to rebel and make poor choices. Those of us that are parents, we get it. We can, we can teach. We can beg. We can implore. We can encourage. But unless you want to go to jail, you cannot shackle and imprison. And at some point, in t- although sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, at some point in time, if our children are just determined to make this poor choice, just determined to rebel against our rules, just determined to do whatever, we have to let them do that. We cannot force them. We cannot make them. Do what we want them to do. Maybe when they're little, yeah. But there comes a point in time we can't do that anymore. And that is what God is like. He created us with free will to make poor choices if that is the direction we go. The father did not stop the son. Now it's not in here. But don't you just imagine that he tried to talk him out of it? That he tried to tell him what a mistake he'd be making if he took all the money that he had and he went off out and left home. And, and just, Don't you imagine he tried to tell him what the consequences would be? And yet he wouldn't listen. The father let him go. And I don't know if you noticed, but there is a difference between the shepherd And the woman and the father. The shepherd realized that one of the sheep was missing. And he went out searching for it. The woman realized that one of her coins was missing. And she cleaned the house till she found it. The father let the son go. And didn't go out hunting him. We might think to ourselves. Well that's a bit strange. That's a bit odd. But I think in this case it has to do with. How each of them were lost. The sheep probably by carelessness. The coin maybe by carelessness. But clearly the son. By rebellion. And intentionally making poor choices. Now when we get to the parable of the forgiving father. You already noticed it. You know it. You've read this a hundred times. You know. The father was waiting. And when he saw the son on his way back. He ran out to meet him. But he didn't go out for him. Because he knew that was a choice that the son was going to have to make on his own. It's also important to know that God is not going to force us to accept his goodness. He's given us so much. He's done for us. And he gives us free will to choose right from wrong. It's also important to note that the son was in the father's house when he decided to leave. This is not a story 
about alien sinners out there. You know what I mean? People who've never known God, who have never known God's goodness, are just out there in the world and they realize and they come to God. Now, there's stories about that, but that's not this one. This is about the son who was in the father's house. This was about the son who had partaken of all the goodness that the father had to offer. This is about a son who had all the blessings that the father had bestowed upon him and rebelled and left. It's about us. It's about what we talked about last Sunday morning. About those who deliberately and intentionally After they've come to know God, after they've come to know Christ, after they have participated in the blessings, after they've received the blessings, deliberately rebel and turn their backs on God and leave the house. So God gives us free will and expects us to be wise in using that. While God's grace is great and his love is strong, we can choose to walk away from it. As the son did here. The second principle is the principle of temptation. Now, I suppose that as the son went off and started his, you know, living and on his own and all those kinds of things, there were lots of temptations. But the first temptation seems to be was the temptation for the desire for freedom. I want to get out of my dad. I don't know if it was because he'd been there and the tedious work of whatever jobs, you know, he had daddy do. I don't know if it was daddy's rules. I don't know if it was watching goody two-shoes big brother always do the right thing and get, you know, and I don't know what it was, but he just wanted to get out. He wanted to be free. Parents, how many times have you heard your teenagers? I can't wait till I get out of the house. I can do whatever I want. Maybe you said that when you were a teenager. And you found out, guess what? When you get out of the house, you still can't do whatever you want. It may not be daddy's rules. It may not be mama's rules. But somebody's going to have rules. And I don't know what it was, but the son decided he'd had enough. He didn't want it anymore. And he wanted to leave. Perhaps it was uh, just the draw of getting uh, away. But you know, the Bible tells us that there is no real freedom. We're going to be slaves to something. Romans chapter 6 tells us that we've been slaves to sin over and over again. Now, we're slaves to righteousness. It may not be your parents' rules to get out of the house, but it's going to be somebody's rules. If you, I don't want any of the teenagers to answer this. So, no teenagers. But how many of you who are not teenagers know what the anacronym is? FOMO. F-O-M-O. How many know what that is? Oh, we got one. Got a couple. Yeah. Never heard it before in my life. Okay. Never heard it before in my life. And we have our retreat. We have a a, a, a Nexus retreat. And uh, Jacob. Jacob Thomason, you know, our former youth minister. He's speaking. He speaks the entire lessons on FOMO. Fear of missing out. Apparently it's a thing. I didn't know it was a thing. I never heard of it. 
But apparently with the teenagers, it's a thing. Now, whether we called it that or whatever, we know it's a thing. We've all probably kind of been there. The idea of, ah, we're missing out on all the good stuff. Maybe we had that attitude when we were teenagers. And somebody would say, you know, hey, why don't you come to this party? I can't, I'm a Christian. We really would like to. I really want to, but I'm a Christian, I can't, you know. Fear of missing out. I think the son had a little bit of that. Ah, look at all the people out there. Look at what they're doing. Look at the fun they're having. And now I've got all this money and now I can go and I can go have fun too. And I can do those things. We get to, I like the King James Version where it says, and he wasted all his money in riotous living. I don't know what riotous is, but I like it. It says wild living in the NIV. And I don't know exactly what it was, but I have an idea in my mind. I've got, you know, the idea of wine, women, and gambling. That's what I got going on, you know? Okay? Something, you know, some, uh, some saloon. I don't know if they had saloons back then. Probably not. But you get the idea. Apparently that was the same picture his brother had. Because did you notice? This is the first time I really noticed that, by the way. As I was reading it tonight. So it came to me. This is fresh. This is new. It said when it was describing that he wasted all his money on wild living. That's all it says. But then the brother says, my daddy never did nothing for me. But now, now the son comes home, has been off with the prostitutes and all that kind of stuff. Well, the brother assumed what was going on too. Now, whether the brother was right or not, I don't know. I kind of think he probably was, but that's just me. You get the idea. But whatever it was, it was certainly not the kind of life that he ought to be living. Freed from the constraints of home, he was free to indulge in any and everything. Thinking that was going to make him happy. Sound like somebody else we know? Sounds to me a little bit like Solomon, remember that? Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, I had, I had more money than I knew what to do with. And so whatever my eyes saw that I wanted, I bought it. Whatever I thought was going to make me feel good, I indulged in it. And he gets to the end of his life and says, it's, it's rotten. None of that was satisfying. But the temptation is out there. Satan is real and temptation is real and it begins in our mind. You think the temptation for the son began after he got the money from his father and after he moved out? Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. The temptation had been boiling. The temptation had been there in his mind and been going around and around and around and around. Now he just had the resources to act on it. James tells us that we are tempted when we are led astray by our own desires. Satan knows what he's doing. Satan's going to make it look good. Satan's going to make it look appealing. Satan's going to make it feel good. Satan's going to do all those things that are going to draw us away by our own desires. But then we have a third principle. And that is the principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians tells us that we reap what we sow. And we have a saying that the chickens come home to roost. I don't know what that means, to tell you the truth. 
I know what it means, but I don't know what it means. You know, I understand that you know, the chickens come home to roost. I, that means, you know, what you sow, you reap. But I don't know where it comes from. And I looked it up and I still don't know where it comes from. So if you want to enlighten me, you're happy to do that about chickens and roosting. I know about chickens and roosting, but I don't know what it has to do with this saying. Enough of that. We'll go on. But that verse in Galatians says, it doesn't just say we reap what we sow. It says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whoa. You may think you're getting away with it. You may think nobody knows about it. You may think it's fine. You may think, you know, you you slid one under whatever, but God will not be mocked. What we sow, we will also reap. The thing with sin is that the consequences are devastating. And for the most part, we're talking about here and now. We see the devastation of sin in the world in which we live. Whether it's alcohol or drugs or sexual immorality or gambling or fighting or lying or cheating or violence or greed or whatever it is. We see the consequence of sin in this world. And a life lived in such a way almost always brings pain, humiliation, hardship, and sorrow. But even if, by some stretch of the imagination, you're able to engage in all this different sin, And not suffer consequences here and now. The greatest consequences are still to come. And I would submit to you that there's no such thing. As continuing to live in sin and having no consequences here and now. You may fake it. Or others out there may fake it. But the lives that are destroyed. The families that are destroyed. Communities that are destroyed. Because of sin and living against God's will. There's always consequence to sin. You know, you remember in Psalm 73, you remember that's the psalm where the writer talks about, you know, my feet almost slipped. I almost lost my faith because I looked around and I saw that all the wicked, evil people were getting everything. And I'm trying to live my life right and I don't get nothing but heartache. But you see, he was on the outside looking in. I guarantee you those people he was looking at who he thought had everything and had it all together, there was hardship and tribulation and strife and all kinds of things going on in their lives. Here the consequences don't seem too great, do they? Uh, the boy went out and he lived righteously and, 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 and he finds himself hungry. Ah, it's not, you know, he doesn't have some horrible disease. He's not in jail. He's not, you know, I mean, it doesn't seem that bad. But notice what he said. I am starving to death. He wasn't just hungry. He was starving to death. He was in the pit with the pigs. And he would have liked to have just sucked on the husks. From the corn that the pigs had eaten. Now, I don't know about you. 
I'm not a big pig person. When I'm a big pork person, I'm just not a big pig person. But I've seen pigs in their pens. And they don't just walk around in those pens. They do other stuff in those pens. And you're telling me you are so hungry that you would eat something you picked up from amongst the stuff that's in the pen? Apparently that's how low he had gotten. Which leads us to the third or fourth. Are we to the four? We're to four now. You're lucky. We're to four. The fourth principle is the principle of repentance. It's important to recognize the son's situation. The father said he was dead. And he was lost. Just like us before we came to know Christ. Paul tells us that we're dead in our sins and our transgressions. Just like us if we turn our backs now on God's goodness. If we up and rebel against God and we forsake all the good things and the blessings that God has given us, we will be lost and dead. But it says when he came to his senses. Thank God he did. Not everybody, though, will have that opportunity. Not everybody gets a second chance. We should never live our lives in such a way that we're going to go and do our own thing for a while because you know what? When I'm ready to come back, God will welcome me with open arms. Yes, true, but how do you know you're going to make it to come back? Not everybody gets that chance. The son realized his own condition, realized the consequences of his actions, realized the ruination of sin in his life, and realized that there was only one hope. And that was the grace and mercy of his father. And so he rehearsed a speech. Pretty good speech, wasn't it? Pretty good speech. Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I have no right to be called your son anymore. Let me just be a servant. Is he on point? Is he right? He's 100% right. He had given up the right to be a son. He had given up the right to participate in the goodness of what his father had because he'd already, he'd already been given it and wasted it. We would think that there shouldn't be a second chance. Now, this shocked me a little bit. As I mentioned, you know, I read a lot of different commentaries and things, you know, as I get prepared for my lessons and things like that. And this week I read two different commentaries who strongly questioned the sincerity of the son's repentance. The fact that he rehearsed his speech and then relayed it again to the father. The fact that there was no no evidence other than the words. There was no evidence of contrition and repentance. 
They made a big point about the only reason the son wanted to come home was because of the situation that he found himself in. Destitute, humiliated. And my point is, so what? So what? Isn't it okay to come to Christ when we are destitute? When we are humiliated? When we have nowhere else to turn? Isn't that okay? I think it's okay. And I think if we begin to try and analyze and scrutinize whether or not the, the, the son was sincere in his repentance, we've become the older brother. We've become exactly what Jesus was trying to teach against in the parable. We have to take it at face value. Jesus said he came and he came to the father and he humbled himself and he said, I've sinned against you and against heaven. And the father who represents whom in this story, we can all pretty much agree whom the father represents, whom the, yeah, whom the father represents, right? God. Now, if anybody can judge the sincerity of somebody, wouldn't you think it'd be God? If the boy was not sincere and the father represented God, the father would have said, get out of here, boy. You blew your chance. Don't be coming in here trying now. Uh-uh, not after you did all that. You just go on out there. Fend for yourself. Get back with the pigs. But the father took him in. And I would dare say, I'm going out on the limb here, okay? I may cut it after me if I get out. I dare say that even if the son was not a hundred percent sincere, the father was okay. Come on. Come on. We'll work on it. We'll repair it. Maybe we'll get to that point. But you're here now. You came to your senses. You made the first. You came walking up the driveway. I'm going to take you back. Repentance and humility is at the essence of throwing is the essence of throwing ourselves at the mercy of God and that's exactly what I see from the son here. The main lesson I think from the story of the prodigal son or the lost son is that we can never go too far away to come back. And you may be thinking to yourself as I did as I was typing that. Doesn't that contradict what we just studied last Sunday morning in Hebrews? About how once those who turn their backs on God and continue to rebel and, and, and commit you know, sin, there is no more sacrifice for them. And that's exactly right. As long as they keep living that way. But we can never get too far away that if we come to our senses and we turn back, that God won't be there with open arms. And we'll get into the father's response and we'll get into the older brother's response down the line. But tonight, I just want us to realize how much God 
loves us. And how much he wants us to come to him. Now, the son's sin and rebellion was pretty evident and clear cut, wasn't he? Took his daddy's money, he left home, and he spent it all and whatever else was going on while he was out there. Pretty clear. Everybody could say, ooh, boy, yeah. there is it dead okay we can rebel against God kind of secretly nobody else even know about it but the results still the same the results still the same and we still have to have that penitent repentant heart to come back to God if you're here this evening if someone can help or encourage you we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D. C-O-C dot O-R-G Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol dot com Or you can call us at 903-645-2896 If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.